Chapter 49, D's Sound Advice. Despite Nix's desire to please the quirky special agent, Nix had played the fool too many times in the last couple of weeks. She wasn't about to do it again. Give me a moment. Gary sat back as if satisfied everything was going his way, or maybe that he had trained her well. Nix quick stepped to the phone. Hello? Amy, I need to talk to Jordan right away. He's in his room. So take the phone in there, please. Hello? came a deeper voice. Hi, Sergeant Frost. Did you, uh, happen to talk to an Agent Lip this morning? The line went silent. Sergeant Frost? Is he there with you? Nix checked to make sure Gary wasn't sneaking up to listen. He's in the other room. Is he really with Homeland Security? He's legitimate enough, but I don't agree with his methods. I asked him not to contact you at the foster home. Nix's heart sped up. She was in a tug-of-war between a police sergeant and a government agent. Do you know what he wants? I mean, why he's investigating all this? I think some big shots in Washington saw the vice principal's home video on the news and decided it needed looking into. You don't have to tell him anything. Would you like me to come over and ask him to leave? Nix moved the phone to her other ear and spoke softly. It'll be okay. Can I actually speak to Jordan for, like, two seconds? I promise it's important. Nix? came Jordan's voice after a moment. What's up? Did you tell your dad about my heart-stopping thing? What are you talking about, Nix? Jordan said in a strange voice. Is this for that first aid paper you're writing? This isn't funny, Jordan. Did you tell your dad about- I really have no idea what you're talking about. Click. Nix was about to scream in frustration and call him right back when she heard a second soft click. Two lines. Sergeant Frost had been listening in. Oh no. What had she said exactly? Well, whatever he suspected now, Jordan obviously hadn't told his dad anything. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been so cryptic and evasive. So Gary really was legit. And not as well-informed as she'd thought. Back in the room, Nick sat and interlocked her fingers. You have a pen and paper? She asked. You're going to want to write this down. Gary smiled, opened his black leather bag, and pulled out a digital audio recorder. Must be nice to be a government agent and have all the latest gadgets. He pushed a button, then set the recorder on the table. I'm here with Phoenix Ivory Wack, age 15, of Woods Cross, Pennsylvania. The following is Nix's first-person account of her experience at Sarah Hainsworth's house the night of September 9th, year of our Lord, 2004. He winked at Nix, then sat forward and waited. Where in the world should she begin? With the frequent dreams about the Asian girl that turned out to be her own dead body? With auditions? Jordan's hammock? Or should she just tell him what happened on the ninth and proceed as if he had already understood her superpowers? It struck her as funny that Gary would say Sarah's house, rather than the Hainsworth residence or something. Had he already interviewed Sarah? Headlights flashed between the purple curtains. Mrs. Cherry clomped across the entryway and opened the door. Excuse me, Gary said. He hopped up from his seat and subtly pulled back the curtain. Who's that getting out of the car? That's Patrick Cherry, my foster father. What is Mrs. Cherry telling him? Nix had to check if he was serious. Uh, probably that there's some guy in the house interviewing me? Smuckers, he said. What? Gary tripped over his bag and bumped the table on his way out of the room. He hadn't even noticed he'd spilled a cup of tea. It was going everywhere. Mr. Cherry would not be happy. Nix ran for the kitchen and returned with a roll of paper towels. Off oh, flip. It was pouring from the table almost directly into Gary's open bag. 
Nix mopped up most of the tea, but she feared there was still a puddle of it inside the bag. Hopefully he didn't have any other electronics in there. She pushed a wad of paper towels inside and tried to dry the insides without doing any more damage. Luckily it didn't look like he had a laptop or anything. Just some clothes, toiletries, gloves, and a white handkerchief. Except it was really big for a hanky. It looked more like a pillowcase. What are you doing in my bag? Gary stood in the doorway. Before Nix could explain about the tea, Mr. Cherry raised a metal water bottle and smashed it into the back of Gary's head. Gary fell forward. His face caught on one of the chairs. Nix heard something skitter across the wooden floor. She figured it was a pin or coin from Gary's pocket. But after he finally came to rest face up on the floor, she noticed he was missing his two front teeth. Are you okay? Mr. Cherry asked. Was he talking to Nix or Gary? Because Gary was unconscious and bleeding all over the floor. Why did you do that? Nix asked, trying not to sound overly accusatory. Mrs. Cherry stepped next to her husband. He is not a good man, she said. I shouldn't have let him into the house. You didn't know, Andy, Mr. Cherry said. Know what? That Gary was Pillowhead? Could he possibly be the one who killed Sarah's dog? Why would he bring his pillowcase mask with him to an interview and leave his bag open? Mrs. Cherry took Gary's bag, then grabbed his ankles. Help me, Patrick. Where were they taking him? Nix's foster parents carried the purported government agent outside and laid him in the back seat of his car. Then Mrs. Cherry got in the driver's seat and quietly pulled out onto the street. What's she going to do with him? Nix asked. Mr. Cherry sighed. My guess is take him to the police station. I'm so glad you girls are safe. For the first time, Nix noticed Fawn standing at the top of the stairs. How much had she seen? She didn't seem particularly upset or frightened. Did this kind of thing happen often in the Cherry household? How did you know he was not a good person? Nix asked. Mr. Cherry gave her a wary look, as if seconds from falling asleep. Same way I knew about your power over death. An exclamation mark the size of a house appeared in Nix's head. Power over death? He hadn't mentioned that during the reading. Did that mean he knew everything about her abilities? You're such a liar, Fawn said from the second floor. She walked to her room and shut the door. Nix thought Mr. Cherry might get angry, but he just looked sad. Maybe we should all take a little time alone before dinner. Why don't you go get started on homework or something? Ha, homework. Summer school was on the horizon. Maybe she should finally drop out altogether and move to the Canary Islands. Mr. Cherry rummaged through the fridge. Nix wanted to give the Frosts an update, but she also didn't want to push her luck with Mr. Cherry. He had implied she should go to her room. Besides, it would be a phone conversation she didn't want overheard. Nix trudged to her room and looked around for her backpack. It was only then that she realized she hadn't taken it out of her locker. In fact, it had been nearly a week since she'd taken her books home. She flopped onto her bed. At some point, she'd like to have a normal, boring day. Sergeant Frost was probably headed to the hospital with Gary. Nix realized Mrs. Cherry hadn't picked up the guy's teeth. Was it too late for someone to stick them back in? Did Nix even want them to? If Gary really was the guy who kicked Jordan in the face, maybe it served the man right. But she should probably go collect the teeth all the same. She snuck downstairs. Mrs. Cherry wasn't back yet. Gary's recorder sat on the parlor table, still recording. Nix pushed stop and slid it into her pocket. It took a minute, but she found both teeth. Mr. Cherry whistled in the kitchen over the sound of frying meat. Strange for him to seem so happy after almost killing someone. Back on her bed, 
Nix's mind replayed the highlights of her unusual day. She hoped Felix wouldn't get into serious trouble for punching Dibble. Why did Sergeant Frost think Agent Lip was legitimate if he wasn't? Brett Frost wasn't a stupid person. Nix mulled over everything he had told her and Jordan about Mr. Abendroth. She knew Jordan would have it all memorized word for word, but Nix needed to keep the details fresh in her mind so she could eventually put the puzzle together when she had more pieces. Alex Abendroth had been with the police department ten years when he was promoted to sergeant. In celebration of his pay raise, he moved his family into the old mansion at the top of the hill. Less than a year later, Alex injured his knee in a police training exercise and took time off to have it operated on. Six months after Sergeant Abendroth returned to work, Officer Frost discovered his superior had a secret. Alex was addicted to the pain pills he'd been using during recovery. Officer Frost tried to help his friend, but in the end, he had to inform the chief. Unable to quit and refusing to admit his problem, Sergeant Abendroth was fired. From that point, his life spun out of control. Although he did finally quit the pain pills, he replaced it with an addiction to alcohol. He couldn't keep steady work, and his wife's earnings from odd sewing jobs wasn't enough to keep up on the rent. Mr. Dibble had already started the eviction process. Many suspected Mr. Abendroth of hitting his wife and son during his alcohol-induced rages, but nothing was ever proven before they disappeared. And as there were no signs of foul play, Sergeant Frost figured they'd simply had enough and decided to start again somewhere else. Why they didn't go to the police was still a mystery, although the fact that Alex was known and loved by the entire force might have had something to do with it. But if the father had so many friends in Woods Cross, why had he ended up leaving too? Couldn't he have stayed and looked for his family? Maybe he was too embarrassed at having been abandoned. Nix pulled a blanket over her to warm up her feet. So where was Mr. Abendroth now? Nix pictured him in an expensive suit, shouting orders at a team of special agents. Why haven't you found them yet? Get that Hainsworth girl, make her talk. Nix shivered. Could someone who had dedicated his life to fighting crime turn into a criminal himself? She was pretty sure she'd seen that on TV once. Maybe Sergeant Frost was right. Maybe Nix was wasting her time looking for clues in the old mansion. But even if she had been wrong in suspecting Abendroth, that didn't change the fact that someone, maybe Gary, broke into Sarah's house, killed her dog, and stole her diary. In that case, why would Gary need information from Nix? Was he hoping she had secrets to help him catch Sarah? Mrs. Cherry returned halfway through dinner. She said the Midland Police Department was holding Gary until they could verify his true identity and find out why he was impersonating a government officer. She didn't say anything about the hospital or the teeth, so Nix didn't bring it up. Jordan went to church with Tiago, anything to get out of his room. Nix spent Sunday walking around town, enjoying her newfound freedom. Late afternoon, Nix spotted a long, hairless tail disappear into the bushes. After that, she decided she didn't want to be outside after dark, and speed-walked back to the cherries. Fawn visited Nix's room that evening and dropped a paper on the bed. The questions on your math test tomorrow, complete with answers. If you get caught, you're on your own. What? Why would you give me these? So you look like you've actually been helping me? Do whatever you want. I don't care if you fail. When Fawn had gone, Nix crumpled the paper and threw it in the garbage. The next morning, she took it out of the trash. She had never cheated on a test and didn't plan to start now. But since she didn't have a math book, she could use the page to study on the bus. It felt strange to be worrying about classes again. In a way, it was nice. 
Nix was planning to ask Jordan if he had remembered to study, but as soon as he jumped off his bus, he shoved a newspaper into her hands. Page four, he said. His eyes twinkled almost as much as his braces. Jordan guided Nix by the elbow through the crowd of students as she thumbed through the pages. She let out a strangled cry when she saw the headline, Town Poised to Strike Against Diseased Strays. It can't be talking about my cats, Jordan chuckled. They're worried whatever disease they have will pass on to the local wildlife and harm the ecosystem. Nix quickly read the article. They can't be serious. Animal control is authorized to shoot any infected cat without a collar? My mom took all the collars off when she stole them. They're all going to die. I've killed them. Not so loud, Jordan mumbled. People are looking. Nix groaned and stuffed the newspaper into Jordan's backpack. Even with all the breaking in and vandalizing, this was most definitely the worst thing she'd ever done. All 23 cats would be murdered because of her. Even Toad might not escape. Although he didn't have any bald spots, Nix had never gotten him a collar, and chances were he'd be hanging out with the other cats. She'd have to tell Animal Control what really happened before they started killing healthy, innocent cats. Maybe the murdering had already begun. Nix felt sick. Jordan paused before opening Ms. Winkle's door. You okay? Nick shot him a bewildered look, opened the door, and trudged to her seat. Jordan sat next to her and whispered, Don't feel bad. It's not your fault. Nix shook her head. Just do me a favor. Don't tell Tiago. I don't want him to know what a monster I am. Jordan laughed and then sobered up when he realized she wasn't joking. He nodded in his most empathetic fashion and pulled out his U.S. government book. At the end of the period, Nix hadn't heard a word of Ms. Winkle's lesson, on President Bush's campaign promises. Her mind was wholly engaged on the cats. If she went to the police, they'd know her mother had stolen them. Would Mrs. Wack get fined? She had no money. Would she get sent to jail? And Mrs. Wack wasn't the only one whose crimes would be uncovered. Certainly drugging and chemically removing cats' fur would be considered cruelty to animals. Did they imprison people for that? Good morning, Miss Nix. Ms. Winkle stood over her, enormous brown hair sculpted into something resembling a cornucopia. Most of the students had left to second period. Jordan sat on Tiago's desk, telling him the official version of the events at the Abendroth mansion. I know how you feel. I hate Mondays, too. It's not that, Nick said, embarrassed that her inattentiveness had been so obvious. I'm worried about... Can I ask you a question? Ms. Winkle sat on the seat next to her. If I can ask you a question first. Okay. Have you had much contact with Leaf Bowers? The question caught Nix off guard, and for a moment, she just sat staring at Ms. Winkle's dangly turquoise earrings. Do you know who I'm talking about? Tall boy with short hair? Nix was tempted to tell her about how Loaf pushed her into an open grave and left her to drown, but dismissed the thought immediately. Loaf and Danny hadn't bothered her for several days, and she needn't turn their attention back to her by squealing. I don't know him very well, Nick said. I think he was held back, but I'm not sure. Ms. Winkle rubbed under her nose. Nix was dying to know why the teacher was asking about Loaf, but she didn't want to seem snoopy. Are you trying to set him up with someone? She smiled so Ms. Winkle knew it was a joke. No, I'm trying to figure him out. He's a hard nut to crack. Big, mean, and dumb. That pretty much summed it up. Nix was tempted to relate her analysis, but didn't think it would go over well. Your turn, Ms. Winkle said. How could she phrase it without making her guilt obvious? 
Oh, I just wanted your advice. She looked to make sure Jordan and Tiago were still busy talking. What if you had information that could help a situation? But if you told someone, you might embarrass yourself and possibly get into trouble. Ms. Winkle watched Nix's face for a moment before speaking. I guess you have to ask yourself whether telling would accomplish more good than not telling. She waited, obviously hoping for clarification. Nix nodded as if she hadn't thought of that. What kind of embarrassment are we talking about? Ms. Winkle finally asked. Major embarrassment. Would it work to write an anonymous note? That way they'd have the information and wouldn't know you, I mean, the hypothetical person, was involved. Maybe Nix could tape a note to the door of the animal shelter or something. Don't kill the cats, they're victims of a hoax. I'll try that, thanks. Ms. Winkle tapped her book on the desk and stood. Let me know how it goes. You guys better get to class. The vice principal has gone two whole days without anyone to give detention, and I think he's suffering from withdrawal. She ushered the three of them into the hall. Nix caught a whiff of Tiago's scent and was suddenly overcome with the desire to strike up a meaningful conversation. So did Jordan tell you what happened at the Abendroths? She asked as nonchalantly as she could manage with him two feet away. Yeah, Tiago said. I can't believe you lot rode up there just to find his shoe size. Sarah and I could have popped over and had a look round. The second growl sounded, and the three picked up their pace. Nix noticed with horror that Tiago had started angling toward the exit. She'd forgotten his next class was in a different building. Are you going to help us identify the creeps that attacked Ms. Winkle? Nix asked as loudly as she dared in the open. The final growl sounded, and Tiago started to jog away. I think my brother has something that might help, he called. I'll give him a ring and see if he can drop them off. Having Tiago shout at her from across the building was more gratifying than she had expected. Do you know what he's talking about? Nix asked Jordan. Jordan didn't answer. Instead, he stopped and slung his backpack off his shoulder. Nix faced him. What are you doing? We're late. She spun around and face-planted into something striped and soft. The stripes turned out to be a necktie, and the soft turned out to be a belly. Both belonged to Vice Principal McGuckin. Mm-hmm.